Story Plant Media presents Tawny O'Dell's Rewrites. Episode 2. I think you have a novel in you. Clive and I were impressed with Bill and feeling very positive about rewrites. We left West Virginia full of enthusiasm and belief in you never know what's going to happen as we made our way to our next appointment in Greenwich, Connecticut to meet our second writer, Tracy Mills Parker. Clive did all the driving, because driving's not really my thing. Actually, saying that it's not my thing might be an understatement, because I don't drive at all. I'm a 24-year-old red-blooded American male with no disabilities or criminal convictions of any kind who cannot drive a car, which, of course, can only mean one thing. I'm a native New Yorker. I don't drive, but I do have a driver's license. My mom made me get it when I turned 16. Her argument was that I might need the skill someday in case of an emergency. And I was I'm never quite sure what dire situation I could find myself in that an ambulance, a police car, or a fire truck couldn't handle. I decided she was concerned about all the possible end-of-the-world calamities that we see in movies and TV. Alien invasions, zombie uprisings, or catastrophic climate change. The escape of a lethal airborne pathogen from a government research facility. When any of these events take place, everyone hits the road in their cars, but then the same thing always happens, and they all end up stuck in these colossal traffic jams because everyone's doing the same thing. And even if a driver somehow manages to circumvent these traffic snarls, the world eventually runs out of gas, and then cars don't even work anymore. It seems to me that there were more important life skills to work on in case of Armageddon, like uh, trapping and foraging and running really, really quickly without tripping or falling down or <laughs> possibly adopting a devil-may-care attitude. I'm just, I'm not good at any of these things. So, along with not knowing how to drive, I'll probably be fairly useless post-apocalypse. Yet, I will be able to produce a valid New York State driver's license for ID purposes. And that seemed to make my mom pretty happy. Holy crap, is this her house? Wow! You think she's worth more or less than the monkey? Yes? Hi, uh, I'm Theo. This is Clive. We have an appointment with Mrs. Mills Parker. She's waiting in the kitchen. Your guests, Mrs. Tracy. Gracias, Marta. Hi, I'm Tracy Mills Parker. Welcome, have a seat, please. Um, can I get you anything to drink? I have 10 kinds of water, 15 kinds of wine, and 20 kinds of vodka. Uh, no, thank you. No, thanks. Okay, then. You know, if you don't mind me saying, you don't really strike me as TV producers. But then again, what do I know about TV producers? What do I know about anything except for looking good and spending money? That is what you're thinking, isn't it? <laughs> well... I, no, no, I, I mean, uh, I mean, you're beautiful, and you're obviously wealthy, but that doesn't mean that's all you are. But even if it is, those are two good choices. Shall we talk authors? I love Candace Bushnell, and that was before I knew Sex and the City was based on anything, let alone a book. But I'm not shallow. 
I've read Zora Neale Hurston, Dorothy Allison, Joyce Carol Oates, lesbians, African Americans, women with bad hair. I don't discriminate. I also love Shirley Jackson's novella, We Have Always Lived in the Castle, about the two sisters and the one that's killed their entire family. Spoiler alert if you haven't read it already. What's that book you have with you? Pride and Prejudice? Is this the first time you're reading it? No, I've read it before. Not a fan. Even though I know women are supposed to swoon over Mr. Darcy. Huh. Are you more of a Heathcliff woman? Or Rhett Butler? Maybe Max de Winter? I've always wanted to do Willy Wonka. Or the chief in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Right. Of course. The giant Native American mental patient who pretends to be deaf and mute and then kills the book's hero in the end. Sounds like a doable guy to me. Mrs. Tracy, you wanted me to remind you when it was time to pick up Kaylee? Si, muchas gracias, Marta. Do you have to go? No, I'm not going anywhere. I just like to be reminded that I would have to perform annoying tasks like pick up my child from a skating party if I wasn't loaded. How many children do you have? Cuatro. You know, Marta's been with me since I was a child. She was my nanny then. I'm still your nanny, don't kid yourself. My first and fondest memories as a child were of her reading to me. She read in Spanish, but that didn't matter. I fell in love with books. She falls in love with lots of things. Those are interesting canisters. <laughs> Flour, sugar, coffee, and then two are labeled cookies. <laughs> Your family must really love cookies. It's not what you think. The second one says cookie, not cookies. It's the ashes of my mother-in-law, Cookie. She always loved my kitchen. My husband thinks she was tossed into the ocean off Cape Cod, but I know she'd prefer it in here. Hasn't your husband asked about the second canister? Oh, he doesn't come in here. So, uh, Mrs. Mills Parker... Tracy! Please. Tracy, have you always wanted to be a writer? I have tried writing at various times in my life, but um, I can never stick with it. I've always had so many other demands on my time. Tennis, shopping, having sex, avoiding sex, traveling, not traveling, staying home, skiing, driving places, scheduling, eating, talking. But I think the main reason I never stuck with writing is that I never cared about what I was writing. You know, they say to write about what you know. Yes, yes. It brings an element of truth to your work that's, that's necessary. That's what I've done in the novel I'm writing now, and it is just flowing out of me. But you're writing about a woman who murders her husband. Yes. Can I have some vodka? Tracy was an interesting woman. On the surface, she was this classic blonde bombshell, but she wasn't a dumb blonde. Some of the things that she said and did, like secretly keeping her dead mother-in-law's ashes in her immaculate kitchen, the size of an airplane hanger, struck Clive and me as strange, really, really strange, but not idiotic strange. More like bored supervillain strange. I had a feeling it would take some time to get to know the real Tracy Mills Parker, which would work perfectly on the show. And regardless, there was no denying her talent. The excerpt we read from her novel in progress, The Other Woman in Your Kitchen, was excellent. Here's a bit of it. As she stands in the shadows behind the curtains watching him watch one of the servants load his golf clubs into the trunk of his beamer, 
she realizes the smallness of his world is immense. It fills the entire house, crushing her against a wall, leaving her breathless. She doesn't hate him. She wouldn't even have to lie about it to the police. She knows she could pass a polygraph. Hatred is a powerful emotion, and nothing of any strength has ever existed between her and her husband. Passion would have nothing to do with his murder. It would be a crime of compression. Hey guys, I'm Demi Frigale, and I play Echo in rewrites. I just got the Casper mattress, and I love it. It feels like one big marshmallow lulling me to sleep. It combines supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. The reviews speak for themselves. Look at Amazon and Google and you'll see over 20,000 reviews that show Casper is quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. They're averaging like 4.8 stars, people. It's designed, developed, and assembled in the USA, and they offer free shipping and returns in the US and Canada. Just try it for 100 nights, risk-free. I'm on night 24, and I gotta say, the Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. But if you aren't obsessed with it, they'll pick it back up and give you your money back. But you won't want that, trust me. Visit www.casper.com rewrites and use the code rewrites for $50 toward any mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks for listening to Rewrites. Our next stop was I-80 somewhere in central Pennsylvania. I don't, I don't remember the name of the town. Uh, it wasn't important anyway, since we weren't going any further than the convenience store at the bottom of the off-ramp. Brandy Costco was in her early 50s, uh, single, lived with her ailing father, and had won our hearts with the warmth and humor in her online submission. That'll be $6.42. You need a bag for that? Hell no. I'm going to eat it before I even hit Dubois. You say your prayer for Big Ben and the boys tonight. The Ravens won't go down without a fight. Already said, honey. And I'm already wearing my Steeler socks. That's all I can get away with since we have to wear these uniforms. Drive safe and keep warm. Will do. Hi, Brandy. I'm Theo, and this is Clive from Rewrites. Oh, hey. Hi. Great to meet you. Hope you don't mind us talking here at the store. My house isn't much to look at. I practically live here anyway. All the comforts of home. You got your coffee machines, clean restrooms, aisles of junk food, trashy magazines. Not to mention, it's my shift and it might not be busy now, but you never know when some weary trucker is going to come in needing a little conversation to go along with his diesel and his little Debbie's. No, this is fine. I'm going to have some of that junk food, if you don't mind. On the house. How about you, Theo? Uh, yeah, could you get me some coffee, Clive? I wanted to ask you right off about something that you wrote in your submission, where you said um, you sometimes feel guilty about wanting to sell your writing? <laughs> Guess that might have sounded a little weird. Especially coming from someone who's never been able to make a cent from her writing and has tried and tried. And if someone bought one of my books, I'd take the money and run and be happy as a clam. Screw the guilt. <laughs> um, what I meant was I write out of love. It's the most intimate thing I do in my life, and getting paid for doing it would seem like a form of prostitution. But it's what I do best, and there are some people who highly value the skill. 
real prostitutes can make the same argument. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, how, how many novels have you written? Five. And a half. And you were never able to get any of them published? I don't take it that personally. The first three weren't very good. The fourth was okay, and I think the fifth was almost great. I get better with each one. I'm hopeful about the one I'm working on now. Yeah, Clive and I loved what you submitted. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Thanks. I'm real excited you picked me to be on the show. Not just for the chance to get my novel published, but for the experience. Things can get a little slow here, but it's the life I chose, and I don't regret it. You wouldn't know it to look at me now, but I had a pretty wild, exciting youth. Traveled all over the world, had a lot of boyfriends, three husbands, one was even French. I was really hot. Here, let me show you. I got some old pictures on my phone. Are you kidding me? Whoa! Whoa. Uh, (laughs) Hey, you're, you're very attractive. Yeah, I was. My looks got me lots of men, but nothing worked out. Men have to own you completely, or they don't want you at all. I kept choosing freedom, then one day my looks were gone, and I didn't have to worry about trying to break free anymore. The cage door was left wide open. I put on a few pounds. Age crept in. (laughs) Hey, that reminds me. Did you hear about the 25-year-old girl married to the 70-year-old man? Every night when they went to bed, she felt age creeping up on her. (laughs) (laughs) My dad got sick and needed me, so I ended up back where I began, my hometown. I'm happy for the most part. Some days are harder than others. In the words of Chekhov, any idiot can face a crisis. It's the day-to-day living that wears you down. Mm. If you want to be happy... B. Tolstoy, right? Yeah, yes. (laughs) Everyone thinks of changing the world. But no one thinks of changing himself. Here's a quote for you. When I was in prison, I was wrapped up in all these deep books. That Tolstoy crap. People shouldn't read that stuff. Mike Tyson. (laughs) (laughs) If you'll excuse me for a minute, boys, I have a customer. Hey, Steve. That's $22.50 for the gas. And another twelve sixteen for all the other crap you're buying. They're my arteries, Brandy. You mind your own. What's that book you got there? Uh, who, me? Uh, geek love. That about you and your friend here? <laughs> Here's an excerpt from Brandy's novel in progress. Overheard in my Hyundai. I drive a cab in a town where no one needs a cab, but plenty of people need rides. I've been paid with casseroles, lip gloss, plumbing advice, six-packs, prayers for my immortal soul, and promises to mow my yard. But this is the first time I've ever been offered something living. The girl's around 11 or 12. About 20 years too soon, she already possesses the self-centered, self-destructive attitude of a survivor of a string of bad relationships, failed diets, a drinking problem, and the realization that life is just a bunch of confusing, painful stuff that fills up the time between your favorite TV shows. Her outfit looks like it's been picked out by a pedophile with a penchant for hillbilly girls, 
but more than likely, her mom bought it for her. She wears a pair of tiny daisy dukes with eyelet trim and a skimpy halter made from glittery pink camo material. She wants a ride from town to the mall and wants to pay for it with her three-year-old brother. Our final stop on the road trip was the campus of an elite liberal arts college in southern New Jersey to welcome Carver Lanscombe to the show. An English professor in his mid-40s, divorced, father of two. We found him in a lecture hall after one of his classes, having a conversation with one of his students. Sorry, professor, but I, I do not understand what you're saying. You didn't follow the assignment. What you gave me had no regard for logical sequences or syntactic structure. It was a melange of peripatetic and highly elusive prose that degenerated into what I can only describe as a disjointed philosophical discussion rather than a narrative. Uh, yeah, what I said before. Excuse me, hello, hi. Uh, I, I think I can help. I speak pedantic. What? Who are you? The professor said that what you gave him was... Not a story, but a bunch of words that didn't make any sense. Mm, whatever. Hi, Professor Lanscombe. I'm Theo. This is Clive. We're from Rewrites. That wasn't necessary. Seemed necessary to me. That kid didn't have any idea what you said. Actually, neither did I. What's going on here? I don't need this abuse. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, we're not trying to abuse you. And I apologize for Clive, even though technically he didn't say anything wrong because he was just telling the truth, because I'm sure he really didn't have any idea what you were saying. I see. In other words, he doesn't speak pedantic. Do you think I'm wrong to speak correctly, to use words properly that are more than two syllables long? Should I speak in grunts, maybe? Or shrug? No, absolutely not. I completely agree with you. This is one of the reasons why I'm doing this show out of my love for language, specifically the written word, but also the spoken word. But you need to understand your audience. All he heard was... I think all he heard was blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure we're getting off on the right foot. Let me ask you something before we talk any further. Is it true that the winner will get his or her novel published by a major house? Can you actually promise that? Uh, Well, not exactly. I knew it. No publishing house is going to promise to purchase anyone's unfinished novel. Even established writers have no guarantees. But what we're promising is an editor who would work with you toward that end. That's not much of a prize. You have a lot of editors banging on your door? I don't like your tone. I don't like it. Clive, come on. Can you please apologize for your tone? I'll apologize for the tone, but not for what I said. If he doesn't want to be on the show, he doesn't have to. We can replace him, no problem. Will there be a contract to sign... Will there be remunerations of any other kind? No. What about my job? I can't leave it to live in this writer's house, and my children stay with me every other weekend. Well, you don't have to be at the house all the time. Reality TV isn't actually reality. I'm afraid I don't understand the point of all this. How is it going to help writers? Well, it's about exposure. Exposure to whom? The idiots who watch reality TV? Everyone watches reality TV. I don't. Maybe you should. Maybe you should watch less of it. Maybe you don't know how much I watch, and maybe I'm watching just the right amount. There's no such thing. How much do you read? I'm on a show about... Okay, come on, you guys, you guys, you guys. Clive, please, you guys, enough. Professor, you may consider reality TV to be an unworthy medium, but it's a popular one. 
Using it to help get people to read is a great idea. And Clive, you really should read more. You're taking his side? There are no sides! Oh, cool. Yeah, that's really mature. You're just gonna ignore me now and start texting? <sighs> Professor Lanscombe, can we please start over? Call me Carver. And yes. Do you want to be on the show? I see you're reading The Young Lions. Yes. I am embarrassed to say I've never read any Irwin Shaw before. He's an amazing writer. I read that book the summer I turned 18 and had to register for the selective service. It was the late 80s. Vietnam was already ancient history. Signing up was just a formality that you had to do in order to be able to apply for federal financial aid for college. No one gave a thought to the draft anymore or what it would have been like to be yanked from your normal life and sent to the nightmare of war. To face your own death. To face killing others. We also couldn't have imagined what it would have been like to possess such deep self-sacrifice that we would have felt compelled to volunteer to enter that nightmare willingly. You register online nowadays, but back then you had to go to the post office and do it in person. I went with two of my friends, and we were obnoxious. Making fun of the whole process, how it was stupid, no one would let himself be drafted nowadays, we'd all move to Canada, or maybe it'd be fun to go to war. Couldn't be all that different from video games. The man behind the counter helping us was an older man, and he listened to us. Didn't say a word while we filled out our forms. Then, as we were leaving, he said to me, You should read The Young Lions by Erwin Shaw. Then see how you feel about war. And I did. I did read it. And I went back to the post office and apologized to that man. I've been trying to write a novel for most of my life. My first attempt was right out of college. It was a disaster. Uninspired, forced. I didn't have a story I wanted to tell. I simply wanted people to feel about me the way I felt about my favorite authors. I wanted someone to admire me, to be in awe of my talent. Now I think I'm doing it just to prove something. Well, that's not a good reason to write either. Those who can do, those who can't teach. There's another way to look at that. Those who can't teach do. Teaching is a talent like any other. There's no one left to teach. This generation doesn't see a need to learn anything as long as they have their phones. I don't think that's fair. I am part of this generation we're talking about. I want to learn. I care. I'm here. I should tell you, we debated whether or not we should put you on the show. Your novel so far... It's very good, but it's... Porn. That's not true. My novel examines the quixotic nature of human existence by exploring themes of idealism, resistance to change, social upheaval, and excess, creating a portrait of varied tropisms that I can only describe as a cautionary tale regarding the American dream. That's what I said. It's porn. It's erotica. What's the difference? One's a blonde, the other's a redhead. Carver's novel, Faking It, had a, l a lot of sex in it. <laughs> but it also had a powerful, relevant message about the disappearance of the American dream, as he mentioned. But, like, it also had a lot of sex in it. 
a lot. The protagonist was female, and Clive and I had been impressed and kind of weirded out over his convincing ability to write as a woman, and especially to write about a woman having sex. Like, a lot of sex! Here's an excerpt. I dropped to my knees. I unzipped his pants and took him deep into my He grabbed my and began thrusting with a definite rhythm. I realized he was going to soon, so I pulled away and led him to the back seat of my car. I yanked my dress off over my head and crawled on top of him. He me and I him and he inside me easily. He started to fumble with my bra and I unhooked it for him. He grabbed my and he me harder. His style lacked finesse. It was mostly grab and rub, but I gave him an A for enthusiasm. Afterward, I laid my head briefly on his shoulder and my hand against his chest. His heart thudded rapidly beneath the bar pinned to his uniform. When we got back to the high school, career day was over. His recruiting table had lost a couple hours' worth of business. I left him standing alone in the vacant parking lot, staring at the empty building and the American flag hanging limply from its pole. As I drove away, it crossed my mind that by f***ing that soldier, I may have saved some woman's son. We may have got off on the wrong foot with Carver, but by the time we left, we were sure he was going to make a great addition to the show. So far, our contestants were unique, strong personalities, and I was looking forward to see how they'd mesh on the show. We needed six writers, and we'd only found four. I had an idea for the fifth. It was only an idea. I knew for sure she was an unpublished writer. You might even call her, uh... An untried writer. You might even call her a person who didn't write at all. But I had a sense of her potential and believed, like many great writers, she had been temporarily engulfed by the gaining of life experience. Her name was Echo. And I had only recently met her. Well, that's no, that's not entirely true. I'd, I'd known her for months. Six months. Seven and a half months. Well, known her? Ah, I'd known of her. No, more than that. Well, I talked with her on many occasions. True, it was only to order food, but still, talk is talk. What will it be tonight? This new chicken dish sounds good, with the leeks and the torn bread. Is the chicken free-range? The chicken is not free-range, but the kitchen staff is. Our sous-chef Shane has been known to take the G-train all the way to Greenpoint. You can see we sort of had a chemistry thing going on. (laughs) And what about these gillfeather turnips from Houseman Farms? Are they from upstate? No, they're from New Hampshire. We've given up trying to be entirely locavore and have decided there's nothing wrong with being bi. Echo looked like a mermaid. And I, I don't mean that she had a tail instead of legs or that there was anything remotely aquatic about her. She just, she reminded me of how I used to picture mermaids in my head when my mom would read me The Little Mermaid. With big, beautiful eyes, the same sparkling blue as the ocean, and long, golden, tussled curls. So, she looked, she looked like that. But her personality was more like Grumpy from The Seven Dwarves. Okay, what were we talking about? The little dog parks. They're morally wrong. 
When you give the little dogs their own separate dog parks, you're sending them a message that they're special, and they already feel that way to begin with. It is kind of racist when you think about it. Yeah, exactly! The small dogs can use the regular dog parks, but the big dogs can't go and use the exclusive small dog parks. Are we comparing the exercise options of overprivileged Manhattan pets to the civil rights movement? Yeah, I, I think so. We should stop. This can't be what was so important to you to talk to me about, that you had to sit here and eat dinner for three hours so you'd be here when I got off work. No, it's not. What book are you dragging around tonight? Breakfast at Tiffany's. I read that. I saw the movie, too. I can sing the song, too. And I said, what about breakfast at Tiffany's? She said, I think I remember the film. And as I recall, I think we both kind of liked it. And I said, well, that's the one thing we got. That's really great. That is really great. Truman Capote would have hated that song. Why? Because it sucks. Do you remember what you read to me the last time I was in here? You mean three hours ago? I've started you a second bill so you can buy me a beer. Oh, really? Okay, great. Uh, I am happy to buy you a beer. I meant last week. The email you read to me that you sent to your friend. You mean the email about the bizarre proliferation of rescue rabbit leagues and how freakishly large the rabbits are? Yes, yeah, it was brilliant. The part where you wrote about the rabbits staring out of apartment building windows at night? I... I got chills. What is wrong with you? I'm producing a reality TV show about writers. It's a competition, and the winner gets his or her novel published. I think that you would be great on it. You want me to be on a show about writing a novel when I'm not writing a novel? You're a writer. I'm a waitress. You can be both. But I'm not. Well, have you ever thought about being a writer? You totally have, haven't you? I'm drinking this beer and I'm leaving. What, did you know that Echo, in Greek mythology, was a beautiful mountain nymph who never stopped talking? She assisted Zeus in one of his amorous adventures by distracting his wife Hera with her chatter. She wasn't in on Zeus's plot, but Hera didn't care, and punished her by making her unable to speak except to repeat another's last words. Echo ends up falling in love with Narcissus, and when he rejects her because he only loves himself, she pines away for him until only her voice remains. I know. It's ironic. Like if you were named Eeyore. <laughs> yeah. I think you have a novel in you. You don't know me. You have no idea what's in me. Well, I know you well enough. I've been your server. You can learn a lot about a person by the way they present food and beverage to a stranger. You write a novel about being a waitress. You're weird. Good weird or bad weird? I don't know yet. Yet. I've always liked that word. You need to calm down. Echo and I had that beer together and talked a little bit about the show, and then she announced that she had to get home. I offered to walk her to the subway stop. And she refused, which I thought was weird because it was after one in the morning and I assumed that she'd like the company. But when I pointed this out, she said she could take care of herself. This wasn't the first time that I'd been attracted to a girl who seemed to want nothing to do with me. And usually, 
when I pursued one of these girls, despite her initial response, it turned out that it wasn't that she seemed like she wanted nothing to do with me. She actually really, truly wanted nothing to do with me. So for this reason, I am not much of a pursuer. But I, I felt differently about Echo. And I can't explain it. I guess I felt that she was worth a little humiliation and debasement and rejection. <laughs> and And not just because she was pretty. There was something fragile about her that she wasn't completely able to cover up with her armor of sarcasm and indifference. And I know what it's like to have a deep hurt inside you that you conceal beneath a certain surface behavior. I'm pretty sure she's going to do the show. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be a good thing for her and for me. But you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Clive's philosophy applies to dreams being crushed as well as dreams being realized. Come back for the next episode to find out which path I'm heading down. For a complete list of cast and crew and a free download of our theme song, Between the Lines, visit our website, rewritespodcast.com. <laughs>